Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Good morning. Um, Pastor Henry is uh, obviously not here. Uh, He's out of town today, and so he called and uh, asked me would I be uh, willing to speak. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Derek Gray. I am a a board member uh, here at River of Life, have been for many years. I'm also a Bible study teacher for about 13 years. Uh, teach a class here every Sunday morning in the sanctuary class, and from time to time, uh, there's so many preachers in this church, we can't all get a chance, but uh, from time to time, I I get an opportunity, and I always uh, appreciate that. The title of my message this morning is Culture or Christ. Culture or Christ. Now, for those that know me well, they know that I'm not on social media, uh, I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Instagram, I don't follow anybody on Twitter, and it's, it's not because those things are necessarily bad. I mean, let's be honest, in, in life, you can take anything and make it good, or you can misuse it and make it bad. It, it's not that I think they're bad, it's just to be honest with you, it just, it, I, it's, I don't find it interesting at all. Um, it's, I just, it just doesn't interest me. But there is one thing I do, I spend a lot of time in fact, on a daily and weekly basis, I spend a lot of time on the Internet. I've got several websites that I've got to go to. I've got several podcasts that I listen to. And what I do is I try to keep a very close eye on what is going on out in our culture and specifically how that affects the church. So I, like I said, I spend a lot of time doing that. And you may ask why. Well, here's why. Because we have an enemy. Years ago, I've raised chickens now for, for several years. And when I first started raising chickens, uh, I had this idea that I was going to let them free range during the day. And uh, so every morning I go down and, and let them out, and they go out and do whatever chickens do all day. And, and then if you know anything about chickens at night, they, they come back into their coop and uh, they roost and you shut the door. And every night I'd shut the door and they were protected. And for a while, everything went great. Man, they were prospering. We were getting eggs. Everybody was happy. And then one night, I forgot to shut the door. Next morning, I went down there, and it was a, it was a bloody massacre. Man, they were just, there was, it was horrible. They were all dead. Their heads bit off. I mean, it was just terrible. And it turned out that I have this problem with foxes. And, and the, my, these foxes and me have been fighting this battle now over several years. The, I've killed at least five of them, and they've wiped me completely out at least three three times. And one night I actually went out and put a game camera. I, had to, I was trying to figure out how, how do they always know that I've left the door open? How, why are they, have they got some kind of, uh, you know, inside or something? So I put a game camera and I, and I aimed it right on the door. And, and when I went back a couple days later and I checked it, I found out that that fox would come out of the east and about 10 o'clock at night and he would stop and he'd look and he'd see if that door was open. And then if it wasn't, he'd go on. And then again, about 5 o'clock in the morning, he'd come back from the west and he'd stop again. And I figured out that that crazy thing had a circuit. And he would literally just go out at night, and he probably hit every uh, chicken coop in the north part of the county. And then he'd turn around and he'd come all the way back. I mean, he was tenacious. You see, we've got an enemy that's just like that. 
The Bible tells us that our enemy goes around like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. He's looking for a vulnerability. He's looking for a crack. He's looking for somebody that just left the door open just a little bit. And the Bible tells us just like that fox, he comes for one reason and one reason only, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Twenty-two times in the New Testament we are told to beware. Beware. Be aware. Be awake. That word means to look out, to, to be on your, your guard. And, 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 and we're told many things to beware of, but one at the top of the list we're told over and over again, beware of false teachers. Beware of false doctrine. Beware of being deceived. So the reason I spend so much time kind of keeping an eye out, is there any false doctrine, is there anything out there that we need to address? The reason I do it is because it's my responsibility. First of all, I'm a man, and as a man I have a wife, and I believe in my heart one day I will stand before God, men, and you will answer for how you guarded your wife. According to Ephesians 5, you'll answer for that. I'm a father, I've got children and grandchildren, and one day I will stand before God, I believe this with all my heart, and I will answer for how I guarded my children, not just physically, but spiritually. And as a board member and a Bible study at this church, according to the Bible, one day I will answer for the souls at River of Life, as well as Pastor Henry and Pastor Chuck, they know that. Did you do your part to guard the souls of, of River of Life? I take that very seriously. And lately, and I bring all this up because lately I've been noticing some trends in our culture that are starting to creep into the church. And people in the church are starting to believe things that they shouldn't believe because script, um, uh, the, the, the culture is just saying it over and over and over and over and over again, and you start to just believe it. And too many of us aren't reading our Bible. Too many of us, uh, instead of coming on Sunday morning and getting in a Bible study class, we're just... We're just taking it off. And too many of us are getting to the point where we're ignorant of what Scripture says. And the culture is starting to frame our beliefs instead of the Bible. This morning, I'm going to give you four things that I've been seeing, four trends in our culture that I I find incredibly dangerous for the church. The first one is this. One of the things that I'm hearing out in our culture is this idea that all religions are true... And they're just different ways to God. Now, we hear this in a lot of different ways. It manifests itself in a lot of different ways. For example, there's a lot of famous people out there that think they're, quote, spiritual. You ever hear these? You see these sometimes, right? I'll give you a couple of them. George Lucas, who's, of course, the creator of Star Wars, said this. I remember when I was 10 years old, I asked my mother, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? I've been pondering that question ever since, and the conclusion I've come to is that all religions are true. Oprah Winfrey said this, One of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there's only one way. But there are many paths to God. There are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. Another way we see this pop out is in our bumper stickers. You ever got behind somebody and they've got one of these coexist bumper stickers? On the back. You've noticed those. There's a lot of variations of those. One, uh, in, one, in the original variation, they use an Islamic crescent for the C. They use a Jewish star of David for the X. And they use a Christian cross for the, the T. And if you go back and you research that bumper sticker and what it's all about, the main idea behind that bumper sticker is that there's no religion 
above any other. That we're all just doing the best we can. We're all just uh, trying to, 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 to make it to God the best we can. Can't we all just get along? Now let me say this. We should respect religious freedom. We just, uh, we just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving and the pilgrims came here. We forget this sometime, but this country was started on the bedrock of religious freedom. They left England because there was a king who was saying, you will worship this way. And they didn't want to worship in the Church of England. They, they thought it was wrong. They thought it was corrupt. And so they left England, they came to America, and they established this country on religious freedom. We should respect that. But folks, that don't mean all religions are the same. Certainly doesn't mean that all religions are true. John fourteen six, Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And just in case you didn't understand what he said, he said the most polarizing statement that any man has ever made. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, that is an astonishing statement. That is an astonishing statement. In that one statement, Jesus said all those other religions are wrong. I am the way. All those other religions that think they have truth, they're wrong. I embody truth. All of these other religions that, that tell you how to get eternal life, no, I am eternal life. You cannot get to the Father except one way and one way only. You have to go through me. I can't, every time I read that verse, I can't help but think of the quote by C.S. Lewis. He said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He's either a lunatic or he is the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but don't come to me with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, that statement is what we call a polarizing statement. Polarizing means it makes people choose sides. It forces you to choose sides. It was polarizing then. We talked about this in Sunday school. In Mark chapter 3, his own family thought he was out of his mind. Do you know that? His own family tried to put him away. They thought he was out of his mind for making statements like that. The Pharisees called him a blasphemer, and they wanted to kill him, and they eventually did. Even today, it evokes anger in people. For you to say that He is the only way, how dare you say that? How dare you think you've got the only truth? How dare you think you've got the only way? It is a polarizing statement. Now, I don't want to leave here this morning, though, without talking about what He meant. What did He mean when He said, I, I, I am the way, you can't come to the Father? What, how do we do that? Well, it's very simple. You have to believe in Him. You have to believe that He is who He said He is the Savior, the Redeemer of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 8.24, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe 
that I am He. Unless you believe that I am the promised one. Unless you believe that I am the Redeemer. Unless you believe I am the Savior of the world. You will die in your sins. You see, our, this morning, folks, our choice is very clear. Do you believe culture? Or do you believe... The second trend that I see in our culture that's disturbing is this idea that all religions worship the same God. I'm hearing this a lot more nowadays. In fact, just recently a certain senator from New York, who I will not name, said this, when a Muslim prays, when a Christian prays, when a Jew prays, we're all praying to the same God. You see, the idea here is that, you know what, we might disagree on Jesus. We might not agree who Jesus is, but we all worship the same God. We all love the same God. We all honor the same God. Is that true? Absolutely not. Listen to the words of Jesus, John 5, 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. 1 John 2, 23. Listen. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You, 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 listen, if you don't honor the Son, you dishonor the Father. If you don't love the Son, you don't love the Father. If you don't respect the Son, you don't respect the Father. If you reject the Son, you reject the Father. Don't come with any patronizing nonsense that you somehow worship God and you don't accept Jesus for who He is. No. He has not left that open to us. It is a package deal. You honor the Father, a son, you honor the Father. You reject the Son, you reject the Father. Jesus is very clear. Our choice is clear. Do we believe culture and what they say? Or do we believe Christ? The third idea that I hear out in culture that's really bothered me lately is I'm hearing more and more this idea, and, 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 and by the way, I'm not just talking about hearing this from the world. I'm talking about hearing this, these things in the churches, in Christian magazines, and in podcasts that are going. This is why it's bothering me. It's not because it's out in the world, because it's starting to creep into the church. The third idea I hear is this, that a person can be saved without hearing the gospel. That somehow a person can be saved without hearing the gospel. Now, there's a story from the Bible that I want to relate to you. It's a story of a man named Cornelius, because I think it's got a lot to say about this question. We're introduced to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. It says this, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius... A centurion. Now, now Cornelius, if I stop right there, he was a Roman soldier. That's what a centurion was, if you're not familiar with that. He was just a Roman soldier. He wasn't a Jew. Uh, he wasn't a member of any religion or, uh, or anything like that. He was just a Roman soldier of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, here's, here's the thing about Cornelius. Cornelius is a devout man. Cornelius is a religious man. Cornelius is a praying man. And Cornelius is a giving man. He, he wasn't just spiritual in his house. He walked it out. He prayed every day. He gave alms. He gave, he gave money to poor people because he was better off than them. So he lived it out. He walked it out. And one day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the Bible tells us, and you can go read chapter 10 later, 
an angel came to Cornelius. And he said, Cornelius, God has seen you praying. And God has seen you giving alms to people. Here's what you need to do. You need to send some servants over to a town called Joppa. And when you get over to Joppa, there's going to be a man there by the name of Simon the Tanner. And he's got a man staying with him named Peter. Ask Peter to come to your house and he'll tell you what you need to do. Well, of course, Cornelius, man, he's just, he's just talked to an angel. He's all fired up. He immediately goes and gets his servants and says, Hey, go over to this town called Joppa. Go to a, a house of Simon the Tanner and ask for Peter to come. And so they did. It's about a day's journey or so. They went over to this town and they get there. And there's a whole side story with Peter that we won't go in today. But eventually Peter says, Okay, I'll come. And so Peter leaves and he comes back to Caesarea. And, and, and this, this is such a cool story. Cornelius is so excited. He, he's invited everybody he knows. He's got aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins, the, all his soldiers, anybody he can fit in this house. You've got to come hear what this man has to say. And Peter walks in that house and he tells them about Jesus. You can read that in Acts 10, 38 through 43. And this is what he said very simply, very simply. He says, Jesus is a man sent by God. He lived an exemplary life, healing all those who were sick and oppressed of the devil. And he was crucified and put on a tree. And on the third day, God validated who he was by raising him from the grave. And then he said this, God has ordained that forgiveness of sins is found in no other name but his. Folks, that's the gospel. Very simply, you go read it. That's all he said. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The Bible says the Holy Spirit fell and they were all baptized, everybody in that house. Now here's my question. When was Cornelius saved? When was he saved? Well, we don't have to wonder because Peter answers this question. In Acts chapter 11, Peter leaves Caesarea, goes back to Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and he's talking to some people. And he's recounting the story. He's retelling what he said. In Acts 11, 13 to 14, it says this, And he, Cornelius told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message. What does it say? By which you will be saved. Let me tell you, Cornelius was a devout man. Cornelius was a religious man. Cornelius was a praying man. Cornelius was a giving man. And Cornelius was a lost man. He was lost until he heard the gospel and put his faith in the work and the person of Jesus Christ, he was lost. But when he put his faith in Jesus, he's born again. And we'll see Cornelius in heaven and all his family and everybody he invited into that house. We'll get to ask him about it. How did, tell me about that. Tell me how it felt. Tell me... We'll get to see him there. You see, he was not saved until he heard the gospel. Romans 10, 13-14, Paul says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And they are to, how, to, how are they to hear if somebody doesn't tell them? Listen to me. God, I hear people say this all the time, and I say it, God can do anything He wants to do. I, I would never put God in a box, Never. But I'm going to tell you this, there is absolutely no evidence, none whatsoever, zip, zero. There is no evidence in the Bible that anybody can ever get saved without putting their faith in Jesus Christ. None. 
You may say, well, what about the Old Testament? I've said this before. People in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to what Jesus would do. We are saved into the New Covenant by looking back on what Jesus has done. There's no evidence, none, that somehow somebody can just not hear the gospel of Jesus and not put their faith in Jesus and be saved. On the other hand, there is abundant evidence that God has ordained and chosen the gospel of Jesus Christ as the means and method by which people are to be saved. Acts 4.12 puts it this way, There is salvation in nobody else, for there is no other name among heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm going to tell you, Christians, if you've got aunts and uncles and cousins that are good people, devout people, religious people, giving people, maybe even praying people, but you know they're lost people, don't just sit back and think, well, you know, they're good people, God might let them in. No. Share the gospel with them. They have to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have to. There is no other way. It's clear over and over again. Now, people may say, you know what, it's just not fair that God did it that way. I've heard that. It's kind of unfair that He only gave us one way. Folks, in reality, we need to be thankful there's one way. He doesn't owe us anything. We don't deserve to be saved. It's only through His grace. You see, once again, our choice is clear. Do you believe the culture? Or do you believe Christ? The fourth one is going to be the most controversial, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. The final cultural idea I want to address is this idea that God loves everybody the same. Now, for those of you that were here on Wednesday night, I want you to know I'm not some kind of prophet. Uh, I, I, I wasn't here, I was out of town, and, and this question was brought up on Wednesday night. And so this isn't, in fact, Pastor Henry and I have talked about this, and I've included it in this sermon for that very reason. Does God love everybody the same? And a lot of the, the culture out there says, yeah, God, God is a God of love. He loves everybody the same. But is that true? Let me say this. There is a sense in which God loves everyone. God does love everyone. John 3.16, we just read it. For God so loved what? The world that He gave His only begotten Son. Matthew 5.45 makes statements like this. He makes the sun rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends His rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is good to all of us. God, in, in one sense, He has a benevolent love or a merciful love that He bestows on everybody. But folks, listen to me very closely. God does not love everyone the same. He doesn't love everyone the same. Let me read a scripture and first set this up. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian... You have been loved by God in a way that an unbeliever has not been loved. Let me say that again. If you are a believer this morning, you, God has set His love on you in a way that He has not set it on an unbeliever. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Why am I standing here today saved? Because He loves me. He loved me in a way that that person over there, that he, he didn't love them. That's what it says. Because of His great love, He has saved me. 
You see, we got this idea today, and I see it on church signs, we're all children of God. No, we're not. That's not what the Bible says. If you're an unbeliever, if you have rejected Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are a child of the devil, you are a child of wrath. You're not a child of God. See, once I've been saved, I've been adopted into His family. I am a child, a son, a daughter of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. God loves me with a familial love, a family love, the love that a father has for a son. That's different in the way He loves unbelievers. Does He love them? Sure. Can you tell an unbeliever God loves you? Absolutely. But it's not the same in the way He loves His own children. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you here pray for your children? Raise your hand. How many of you pray for my children? Raise your hand. You get it? You understand? There's a love that I have for my children. There's a love you have for your children that's different from other children. They're yours. See, when I belong to Him, it's a familial love. He loves me as family. I want to give you a couple of examples. John 17, 9. This is Jesus. He's praying. He said this, I am praying for them. I am not praying for what? The world. By the way, that's the same world that in John three sixteen it says, for God so loved the world. Jesus said, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but only for those whom you have given me, those that belong to you. See, he said, I'm praying for your children. I'm praying for our sheep. I'm, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not praying for the world. See, there's a way that God manifests His love to us as believers that He doesn't manifest it to unbelievers. Let me give you even a more personal example. In John chapter 22, Jesus comes to Peter. And He knows what Peter's going to do. He knows Peter's going to reject Him. He knows Peter's going to deny Him. And He comes to Peter and He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And, 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 and basically, he infers that I've given him permission. He doesn't say that, but he has. He says, okay, I've given him permission. Luke, uh, John, Luke twenty two thirty two. he says this, But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, notice, not if, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He, Jesus said, I prayed for you, Peter. I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to deny me. I know you're going to backslide. I know all those things. But when you come back, I've prayed you're going to come back. By the way, Jesus' prayers are always answered. When you come back, strengthen your brothers. Here's my point. He didn't pray for Judas that way. He didn't pray for Judas that way. He could have. In fact, if he had, I believe Judas would be in heaven today, but he didn't. You see, there's a love that God has for His own. There's a way that God manifests His love for those that are His own that He doesn't for unbelievers. It's a family love. It's a love of an eternal father for a child. As Christians, that, that should just make us feel so great. Don't buy into the culture. Don't buy into things that are on bumper stickers and are just running around out there. Get in your word. Get in your Word. If you're not in a Bible study, folks, get in a Bible study. Get under a teacher that can teach you what the Word of God actually says. Listen, Christianity has faced many challenges over the last 2,000 years. 
But I'm convinced that today, at least here in America, the most common challenge to Christianity comes from a culture that wants to water down and obscure the teachings of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely convinced of that. Listen to Colossians 2.8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says, beware, be careful, be on your guard, be awake. If anybody comes to you with philosophy, if anybody comes to you with teachings, and they sound good to the human mind, but they're based on principles of men and not the teachings of Christ, ignore them. Ignore them. Beware. Don't let them cheat you. Don't let them deceive you. Now see, I know that in our culture today, that Christians who stand up and say some of the things that I've said here today, you're going to be labeled a bigot, You're going to be labeled mean-spirited. You're going to be labeled narrow-minded. You're going to be labeled as arrogant. And by the way, if I had come up with this on my own, it probably would be arrogant. But I didn't come up with it. I wasn't the first to say it. Jesus was. Jesus' statement in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I mentioned earlier it's polarizing. It is meant to divide people into two groups. See, God, He only left us two choices, Him or them. It's Him or it's them. Make your choice. He put it this way in Matthew seven thirteen through 14 Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus said, over here is a little narrow gate. It's a little narrow door. By the way, Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way. And it's narrow and it's tiny and it's difficult to find. And over here is this broad road. I mean, it's huge and everybody's on this road. Man, there are religions on this road and atheists on this road and philosophers on this road. Everybody's on this road. Black, white, green, red, men, women, you name them. They're all on this road and they all got one thing in common. No, thank you, Jesus. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. No, thank you. That's why it's so hard. Because you've got to crucify yourself. You've got to take up your cross and say, I won't do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. You see, it's Him or them. It's culture or Christ. It's life or death. It's the narrow way or the broad way. We're told often, choose you this day whom you will serve. Romans 10.9 said this, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Why do we have to believe in the resurrection? We have to believe that God validated who He says He was by raising from the dead. He validated who He said He was. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. He is the only way to God. His is the only name by which we can find remissions of sins. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other name. Jesus Christ and Him alone. This morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Chuck in just a minute if he will come and maybe if Carolyn will come and, and play. And I'm going to give uh, just a very quick invitation. I'm not an evangelist. That's just not what I do. I, I, I'm not even sure how to be an evangelist. But it would be absolutely crazy of me this morning not to give someone an, uh, an invitation to accept Jesus Christ. I've tried to come here this morning. I'm no Peter. But like Cornelius, we have come into the house. And we have waited to see what the Word of God would say. 
and you have been presented the gospel in as clear a way as I can absolutely present it. See, like Cornelius, you have to make a decision. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to go to church a few times a year or every day of the year. It's not enough. The question is, in your heart, do you really believe that He is who He says He is? Do you really believe that He's the only way? If you've got some idea in your mind that, well, one day, you know, I know I'm not living right, I know I'm not doing the right thing, but one day, you know, God's going to understand. He knows I'm sincere. He, he knows I'm doing my best. You know what? Maybe He does. That's why He's put you in this house today to hear the gospel. That's why He puts you in this house today to hear the gospel. The question is, what will you, what will you do with it? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.